Lynch and this is Comms Day Live. Welcome to the show. Well, a lot of news around this week. We have a federal minister who is officially disgusted with the telco industry. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. Uh, NBN has put a hold on new HFC connections for the time being because of a worldwide chip shortage. And we'll also be taking a look at a couple of very interesting players in regional Australia. Later on with our editors, Rowan Pierce and Simon Ducks. But let's get into our feature interview. First up, uh, Roy Morgan is a deeply respected institution in Australian opinion polling. And they've been continuing to come out with some quite fascinating research recently. Three releases from them have caught my eye in recent weeks. Uh, First was an intriguing survey on the most trusted and distrusted bands in in Australia and, and particularly relevant to the tech sector because companies from tech showed up on both sides of the ledger. Uh, they also conducted a survey cataloging a surge in broadcast video on demand viewers over the last 12 months. And then there's another survey showing some quite interesting trends in subscription television. I've got Michelle Levine, the CEO of Roy Morgan on the line to tell us all about it. Welcome, Michelle. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good, good. Now, let's start off by uh, looking at the uh, survey of trust in brands that Roy Morgan conducted. It was very, very interesting from the tech industry point of view because uh, there are some surprising uh, additions on on the plus and the negative side. Can Can you talk us through them? Yeah, well, look, just before we begin, it's probably worth understanding what this brand study is. It's basically a survey where we ask people, which brands do you trust? Just like that. And which brands do you distrust? And then we ask them why. So clearly, we're not sort of telling them to focus in on a particular brand, a mining company, a tech company or anything like that. We're just whatever comes into their mind. And it's designed to be really free and floating, just like trust and distrust is. And this particular um, survey is the one that we did during the period of COVID. So we call it the risk report because distrust is probably the biggest risk a company or a brand can experience. So we call it the risk report. And this is the the COVID period. And the the research had some really, really interesting findings. Um, I think probably the most interesting one was to, to what extent supermarkets went up the ladder and It's interesting because sometimes when you do research as a researcher, you're surprised and then you look at it and you go, well, that's pretty obvious. But during COVID, so many of the things that we normally did, we'd normally feel quite safe to open the door to a stranger. We trust. We stopped feeling like that. We started to be quite worried about everything. We were stockpiling food. We were stockpiling toilet paper. The supermarket became incredibly important and they delivered. They delivered. They actually, they stayed open. They had people available to support our shopping needs. They opened up new channels so that we could have really good click and collect. So the supermarkets really stepped up, filled a massive need that we didn't know we had before. And along with it, Australians really trusted them. So that was a a very, very positive thing. Okay. In In the world that I live in, we tend to lump Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, all kind of in the same bucket. You know, they're, they're all large American internet platforms. But what, <laughs> what this survey revealed was that there's um, got quite, a, a, quite some distinct different feelings about yes. those brands in the market. Can you talk us through that? 
Yeah, this, you're absolutely right. If you think tech, a bucket of tech stuff, you would put them all together. But yes, our respondents, and that's pretty much Australians, put Apple and Microsoft in the top 10 most trusted brands. That's many more people trust them than distrust them. On the other hand, Facebook, Amazon and Google end up in the top 10 most distrusted brands. More people distrust than trust. And it, it's really interesting. I, I would put down the um, the business of Microsoft and Apple landing in the top 10, largely because people had to work from home. The, the need for technology was so much greater than ever before, and it kind of worked. On the other hand, with poor old Facebook seems to be the poster child for distrust. You know, ever since we as consumers worked out that Facebook were using our information to market to us and it was being harvested for use of other people. It was like we were aghast. So Facebook still struggles with that. Um, and I think that the, the issue with Google is, is probably similar. You know, the, the issue of distrust is when you distrust a brand, when you feel cheated, when you feel like you, your trust has been abandoned and you just feel you've been tricked. And I think that's the real problem with organisations like Google, Amazon and Facebook is this, you know, feeling that we, we're so dependent on them, they provide wonderful things and yet there's a, there's a sense that they've betrayed our trust. Okay. Now, why, why specifically do you think Telstra um, came in at number two on the distrust list? I mean, that they would like to think that they've done a lot to rehabilitate their customer service over the past few years. They've put a lot of focus on it. Um, and it must be very disappointing from their point of view. So, so look, it will be dis- it will be disappointing for Telstra and um, for for Telstra. I think they're a very broad based company, so there's things that can go wrong and things that they can be blamed for that may not even be their fault. So, for instance, as the NBN rolls out, if you have any problem, who do you blame? Telstra. So, yeah, <laughs> so there's a, li- there's a little bit of that. Yes, yes, I understand. Yeah, yeah they okay. they are the end retailer, and they're they're also. Um, they're kind of synonymous with telecommunications. So um, any any problems does seem to be um, a Telstra. It, it, people tend to blame Telstra, as I said, even though they're not um, feeling responsible for it. Um, on the other hand, you know, Telstra are now having to bring uh, their service level, their service people back to Australia. There'll be a range of things that Telstra needs to do. And, of course, this telecommunications market oh, my God, it's so commoditized. It is a really difficult market to be in. As consumers, we expect everything for nothing. So companies that are trying to provide service for nothing, for near nothing, are going to find it really challenging. This is a very tough market. Okay, now moving on, um, Roy Morgan has done some fascinating work on the rise and rise of streaming video in Australia over the past couple Mm. of years. And a couple of weeks back, you, you released a particular survey looking at uh, broadcast video on demand, which, in other words, what SBS, ABC, and the three commercial TV networks do online. Now, 2020 was a banner year for this format, wasn't it? <laughs> 2020 absolutely was, wasn't it? I mean, imagine people being at home, people unable to travel, um, and, and just spending a whole lot more time with all of these things. So, and, and add to that the government stimulus that meant that people had more money in their pockets so they could do these sorts of things, even though the broadcast ones are free. But yep, it was a, it was a year when we sort of turned inward and there were 
also many more things on offer. It was like our TV set or our screen on our mobile phone was just alive with possibilities and we just grabbed them all. And um, the, the commercial networks in particular saw the, the fewer numbers literally go up 100% plus, which yes. is incredible, isn't it? Big, big increases, yes. So even though you've actually got ABC iView is still by far you know, the leader in this space, followed by um, SBS On Demand, the other ones did have these massive uplifts by huge amounts, you know, more than doubling. So, yes, they're in the game as well. And I guess the, these things are supply and demand. I mean, if nobody was interested in watching what they have to offer, they wouldn't bother to deliver it. But given that there clearly is consumer interest, this is a model that does offer um, a future for these organisations. Media organisations have to make money unless you're the ABC and the traditional um, the traditional commercials and advertising revenue models are under so much pressure. They have to find new and different ways to make money. So this one seems to be where it's happening. Okay. Now, you also looked at the subscription TV platforms a little earlier in January. Mm. And, and we, we're always hearing about the problems at Foxtel and how it's declining and everything. But your finding was that Foxtel also experienced a massive surge in viewers in 2020. Yeah. Again, a lot, largely we've got people at home doing this. Um, so so that's, the, that's probably underpinning um, all, all of these rises to some extent and spending the money on it. Um, but I think it is interesting. I mean, Foxtel being first came in and was incredibly innovative and it attracted those people that could afford to pay quite substantial amounts of money to have exactly what they wanted at their fingertips, frictionless access to entertainment of any kind at their fingertips. And that was worth, you know, a couple of hundred dollars a month at various stages. Then, of course, you had the the newbies that came in the Netflix at a cheaper rate and just created a market that hadn't been there before because the price point was such that it was possible. And these kind of innovative offerings, something that offers you entertainment at your fingertips whenever you want it, once you've had it, you don't want to give it away. So I think Netflix opened up the market and then we as consumers just said, fine, let me try this one. Let me try that one. Yeah, and that was the interesting thing because Netflix is still the market leader and, and, and grew, you know, very, very handsome growth. But what jumped out at me was Disney Plus in its first year with, with what regarded as a relatively limited repertoire of programming compared to some of the others. But it, um, it, it came out of nowhere. It got over 2 million viewers in, in its absolutely. first year. Extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I guess if you've got children and you're interested in that genre, you wouldn't see it as limited. You would see it as perfectly targeted. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely. So and and you and you know that's the that's the thing with all of these um, um, particular kind of subscription services, they can really hit the mark. And you know Disney has wonderful programs. Disney's an extraordinary company. It has wonderful offerings. And for them, it was a case of I, I think aggregating those offerings under their own banner rather than having them spread out across the whole lot. And you know I think the I always look at these things and think, is there room for one more? How is this going to work? And the answer is, don't listen to me. What? Let's see what the consumers do. And they jumped in ready to go. And it's it's been another success story. It sort of just shows how voracious our appetite is 
to have these things available. Well, look, absolutely fascinating findings, and and, uh, thank you so much for sharing your insights to us today, Michelle. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, this is Comms Day Live moving on, and we're speaking with Rowan Pearce, the executive editor of Comms Day. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. We had a bit of a, a blue this week, a blue between a cabinet minister and the entire Australian telecommunications industry. Can you tell us all about it, Rowan? Yeah, so it was, um, it was uh, uh, David Littleproud, uh, who's the emergency management minister, and it was, pretty, um, it was some pretty inflammatory stuff from him. In fact, I, I can't really remember anything quite like it in terms of like you know uh, attacking the telco sector and also like naming names so it kind of um he was basically saying that telcos have put lives at risk because they haven't handed over um some data about the key kind of critical infrastructure to emergency services and so this goes back to the bushfire royal commission which um you know among among the many recommendations were that you know information flows need to improve between critical infrastructure operators and also between critical infrastructure operators and governments so in the form, we've kind of seen some of the stuff where, like, you know, power companies and telcos are working together to improve information sharing. And Little Proud is basically complaining about the other half, which is, you know, the information that emergency responders have access to. So he accused Telstra, uh, Optus, Vodafone, and MDN Co. of risking lives. He also said he was disgusted by um, Andy Penn. So this is, like, pretty pretty strong stuff. And I, I, I guess, you know, when you're, um, I mean, the, the telcos react in a kind of measured way as you would expect which has been like in the case of tpg telecom they said they had actually contacted the minister to try and clarify his comments because they have handed over that data um optus optus said is working with the new south wales government to support the state's digital twin project which is kind of a bit of a template for the rest of australia and indian co has also been supporting that project um Although it acknowledges still working with a number of state governments on like establishing kind of sharing frameworks, and Telstra, Telstra said that they they've been working with Comms Alliance. They also said that they're going to have some of the key data to uh, the government in a matter of weeks. So they didn't really, you know, you don't want to kind of get drawn into a, a tit for tat situation with a, a federal minister, I guess. Moving on. Okay, now moving on. You you had a um, really interesting story in Friday's Comms Day regarding a wireless ISP in South Australia called Beam Internet. Um, I, I must admit, I hadn't heard of them before. They're doing some pretty amazing stuff with regional infrastructure. Yeah, so um, I had a good chat to um, uh, Josh Helbig, who's one of the co-founders of Beam. So they're actually, they're a whisper based in the Barossa Valley, which, I mean, you, you, you'd think would be quite a nice place to be headquartered, to be honest. Um, <laughs> access, access to good wine, at least. Um, so they, they've basically been um, like piecing together a kind of new, new fibre network and commissioning new pops across the state to really support an expansion of the fixed wireless service. So really very much like getting, getting, getting everything in place so when there's that customer demand, they can quickly build out to a new area and provide services there. So they really kind of struck me as one of those local success stories where they've built that really uh, strong reputation based on customer service. And Josh, Josh said, for example, they've been able to compete in areas that are pretty well served by the MBN just based on kind of word of mouth and then um, local reputation. So yeah, they, they primarily um, like primarily fixed wireless using a mix of licensed and unlicensed spectrum. And they, Josh said they're really kind of leaning to a millimeter wave to provide high speed wireless service, including actually looking at um, Terragraph, which is a, the Facebook developed um, 60 gigahertz mesh technology that we know Pentanet's rolling out in WA. Anyway, so very much, very cool to see like one of those kind of smaller players really carving out a niche for themselves. 
Okay, well, on that note, thank you very much for joining us today, Rowan. See you next week. See ya. Well, looking at the week that was with Simon Ducks, the Chief Editor of Commerce Day. Welcome, Simon. Hi there, Graham. Now, Monday was a big day, particularly if you're a retailer of NBN Co. On that one day, they announced that you wouldn't be able to sell any HFC services on their network for the foreseeable future. And also that they were in finally ending the free CVC boost, which gave up to 40% capacity free through the COVID pandemic in 2020. It all came to an end on Monday. Yes, it does uh, uh, bring a new meaning to when the chips are down, really, if you look at it with uh, the fact that uh, MBN uh, essentially has called a force majeure event, uh, saying that uh, they don't have sufficient chipsets to fulfill their commitments, uh, doing their uh, network terminating devices uh, for the HFC footprint. And uh, now this was first flagged to RSPs in December 2020, but uh, I think uh, some of the RSPs were still a little bit surprised that it had actually uh, come to this, essentially. And uh, particularly so uh, was Optus, who were very unhappy, uh, essentially saying that uh, MBN had fallen short of customer expectations. And it's interesting because Optus are having a big push with their Yes campaign, uh, and so customer experience is pretty important to them. And uh, so uh, Andrew Sheridan, uh, Optus's uh, VP on uh, Regulatory and Public Affairs, uh, came to us and he was suggesting that business continuity of supply chains is something uh, on chipsets that all of the telcos have been managing for the last 12 months. So MBN really should have anticipated this issue and taken steps to assure the provision of broadband. Um, but uh, this is the position where we are. And it was interesting because a couple of the other uh, telcos said to us that they were not too worried, actually, because of the fact they understood that this was a problem. Uh, they accepted that MBN didn't really, uh, wasn't in a position to control that. And they just said, let's hope we can resolve this uh, as we move forward, essentially. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we um, asked Broadcom, who's the chip supplier in question, to comment on this, and they wouldn't. <laughs> um, but looking back through some of their analyst uh, statements and conference calls over the past year, they've identified this as long ago as April, and it seems at the time they were quite disrupted by COVID in Southeast Asia, where their foundries and factories are, and you know people having to work from home. I guess it's harder to make a semiconductor from home than it might be some other types of uh, enterprises. But anyway, on the on the same day, uh, the CBC boost came to an end, <laughs> and then Tilcos also had something to say about that. Yes, uh, the telcos uh, were losing a bit of a long-lost friend in uh, uh, that side. Uh, uh, we heard a lot of the same complaints, realistically, against the whole CVC construct that we've been hearing for at least the last 18 months, uh, with the noises getting louder and louder. Uh, uh, the thing with that is that... Um, uh, MBN is uh, mitigating some of, uh, well, the CVC boost uh, removal with a bunch of rebates and uh, new price structures as well. But uh, as far as the telcos are concerned, the RSPs are still not very happy with that. It's essentially suggesting that 
they're going to be having variable uh, costs on their wholesale while they're trying to offer a fixed retail service. And uh, many of the operators were uh, suggesting that that was still a problem. We had uh, Vocus saying that, TPG as well. Uh, uh, Trent Zinner at TPG pointed out that uh, the usage of video on demand and video conferencing is already outstripping CVC inclusions that uh, the MBN has promised in May this year. So this this problem isn't going to go away. I think we're going to see uh, more and more discussion about how this could uh, be addressed and attacked. But MBN is sticking to their guns on this one. Uh, so I think we're going to see some uh, more action. Yeah, it's... it's um... NBN feel that CBC is required for them to meet their business plan. It's the only way they can share in the growth in data consumption. Um, of course, the RSP say, well, that's all very well, but it's become a, um, a cost that we can't plan for. It's variable every month. And depending on events that are out of their control, such as updates to games or and that kind of thing. So yeah, there's, there's arguments on both sides and they're always the trickiest issues. Um, let's move on. Um, you had a, an article, I found it quite interesting in, in Friday's Commons Day, um, about a company called Edge Centres. And not only are they playing in the edge, which, which of course is the holy grail for the telecommunications industry right now, they're doing so um, with a quite novel use of renewable energies. So tell us all about it. Yeah, this one was a, a really interesting case of the fact that uh, we're now looking at an inflection point with battery technology. You see the uh, federal and state governments across Australia putting in battery banks left, right and centre, really big projects, uh, you know, and there's a lot of uh, development in the last 12 months on solar power as well. And so uh, a guy called uh, Jonathan Eves, who is the CEO and founder of Edge Centres, for the last uh, eight or nine months has been trialing uh, to run a data center through solar, essentially, with using battery uh, backup. Now, it feels a bit counterintuitive because, of course, when people think of data centers, they think uh, uninterruptible power supplies, they think uh, backup comes through the generator uh, and so on. But he's flipped all of that on his head. And uh, when you uh, look at it now, you're actually running this thing using a combination of the batteries, the solar, and then you end up having the grid uh, as your backup, uh, essentially. Now, uh, the thing with battery technology is it's still evolving. Uh, as uh, Jonathan uh, pointed out to me, you uh, are not going to see hyperscalers going in uh, for this. But the size of the data center that he's talking about, which is 250 kilowatt, is pretty well suited for a lot of potential edge applications. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about how far the telcos are going to roll out our 5G mobile edge compute into their networks, this sort of neutral data center appearing in a bunch of regional cities all up and down the eastern seaboard is going to be a really interesting play, uh, provided that the customers are content to uh, run their um, uh, services fully off-grid. And, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan uh, said that they've thought a lot about with the customers how they're actually going to make sure that they have this continuity of service because that's a big thing that everyone talks about. He's actually working with the Uptime Institute to get a new tier rating for his 
um, uh, data centre as well because it's not covered in the current tiers, uh, which everyone is fairly familiar with. Uh, and the other interesting thing is that he is making sure that where he puts these things is right next to MBN uh, POIs uh, and, and key ones. Uh, for example, the first uh, data centre that he's uh, building and should be ready for service uh, by the end of March uh, is in Grafton, which uh, Jonathan told me that that was uh, MBN's biggest poi uh, in the in the country as well. So that's going to give him uh, immediate uh, contact to a lot of uh, retail service providers potentially uh, to get his connections. So I really think this is going to be one to watch. Yeah, and we'll be watching their progress with great interest over the coming months. Thank you very much for joining us today, Simon. Thanks again, Graham. That's it for Comms Day Live this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you next time.